you are listening to The Janine Garner Show. Janine is a leading expert on leadership and driving influence through networking and collaboration. Passionate about bringing brilliant people together to achieve remarkable results. Join Janine Garner as she shares insights, interviews and conversations and let's together make the remarkable happen. Welcome to the latest episode of Unleashing Brilliance. Today I'm really excited to be having a coffee with the fabulous Shelin Shackle, who is in Sydney at the moment from the UK. Sherilyn is the founder and CEO of the Marketing Academy, which is a unique not-for-profit organization dedicated to inspiring and developing talented stars in the marketing industry, both client and agency, to become the leaders, the board directors, and the CEOs of tomorrow. Uh, Her programs are highly selective, but totally free of charge. The Marketing Academy programs in the UK are sponsored by some incredible brands such as British Telecom, Microsoft, Facebook, etc. And the Australian chapter opened in October 2014 and is sponsored by the Commonwealth Bank, Google Australia, PwC, News Corp and Microsoft. And is also launching, if not already, we'll soon find out, in New York and Dubai later this year. So it's really exciting. I love catching people from my homeland and equally the chance to talk to somebody that's equally passionate about brand and marketing. I had the joy of speaking at the Marketing Academy a few weeks ago and Sherilyn, you've certainly created something that is pretty unique. Tell me a little bit more about the why. What's the reason behind the Why Academy? The Why the Marketing Academy? <laughs> so, um, I... There's a, there's a lot of reasons, and I can talk about the Academy for hours and hours, but I, I, I feel that the reason why we put the Academy in the world of marketing, advertising, and media is really quite straightforward, and that is that this industry, our function, is really the only industry and function that can change the behavior of the people on the planet. So marketing effectively is about influencing. Influencing is about leadership. So if I could do something that would bring marketing and leadership together, I believe that we can have more bigger impact on the human beings on the planet. It's the only function in industry that influences the way that people think, uh, influences the choices that they make, influences the decisions that they take, and therefore there is a power in our industry that unleashed in the right way with the right beliefs and drivers behind it, can make change happen on a massive, massive scale. And that's the reason that we created the Marketing Academy in this industry. Um, And I wanted to ensure that there was a forum for the guys in the industry who'd been there, seen it and done it, to be able to share their wisdom and knowledge with the generations coming up underneath. Uh, Because the younger generations are our future. They are gonna rule the world. I wanted to play a part in helping shape their thinking and their purpose and their why and have them exhibiting the best leadership traits they possibly could. Um, and that's, that's, that's why it is what it is. I love it. I love it. But was there a, um, was there a watershed moment mm. for you where this idea started bubbling away to become something? What triggered the creation of the Marketing Academy? There were a couple of events that I call very fortunate events that kind of culminated, but to give you a little bit of context, I spent 20 years um, in a career that I was really good at, that I made a lot of money at, but that I didn't love. 
I was a headhunter for 20 years. And uh, in my early 40s, I was running my own search firm, big firm. Um, and on that treadmill of, you know, success driving money, money driving success, bigger mortgage, bigger car, more people. And I was in a place I didn't realize at the time where my soul was being ripped because I didn't love this thing that I was doing. Um, I'd always been passionate about people, always been passionate about talent, and I joined the board of a leadership development company uh, as a non-exec, which really opened my eyes to the fact that leadership is about developing other leaders. And in headhunting, you don't get the opportunity to do that. You don't get the opportunity to influence how somebody becomes or steps up or shows up. Um, it's very transactional. And it's a distress purchase as well, so it's not even an, it's not even a nice transaction. Mm. And um, the the real watershed moment was um, I was in my early forties, um, very stressed, as I said, working long hours, not seeing my family, and I became very very ill. And it was um, a, a, an illness that was an instant thing, um, flashing lights, intensive care. I was minutes away from death. I could have died at any time during, during the month I spent in intensive care. And um, when I came out of that and began to... I, I physically recovered quite quickly. Emotionally, it took me far longer. But the overwhelming sense was I, I could have died and I would not have done what I believe I was born to do. I, I've not stepped into the best version of myself. I've been chasing the, the money. I've been chasing all the trappings of success. I haven't made an impact. I haven't shared what I can do. It would have been a really bad day to die. <laughs> and um, I decided then that I needed to do something that was going to uh, enable me to step into my purpose. I, I, I couldn't have articulated it like that at the time. So a lot of this is post-rationalized. Um, but within a year and a half, I'd set up the academy. So it was the biggest step on that journey. And I decided it needed to be in the space that I loved, which was around talent and talent development, that the best way to do that would be to develop leadership capability in others because if we develop fabulous leaders, they will also develop other leaders. So there would be a bigger impact. And it needed to be in an industry and function that was going to make a difference. So it became quite obvious quite quickly that it should be in this industry and that it should be in emerging talent and that it should be around leadership. And the biggest thing for me was that it could not, would not be commercial. So I set up a not-for-profit right in the middle of the big recession in the UK. So the back end of 2009, beginning of 2010, um, I set up a not-for-profit. So I had to go home to my husband and go, darling, you know that money, all that money that we've been earning, um, I think I need to step away from that now and I'm, I'm going to run a... It's going to be like a charity. And after I picked him up off the floor, he said, it's OK, darling, whatever makes you happy, I support you. And, um, and it's been fabulous ever since. So what does it look like now? This, this idea has become what? Talk to me about what the Marketing Academy looks like now yeah. and what the dream for the future is. So, well, it's bigger than I ever thought it was going to be. I really did think it would be a little project. It would be a little passion project. Um, and we launched with what has become our flagship programme, which is called the Scholarship. So the Marketing Academy Scholarship is our flagship. 
So we've been going, uh, we're just about to enter the ninth year in the UK and the fourth year in Australia of the scholarship program. So now there, um, there are 330 alumni of that program, uh, now spread all around the world, because obviously very high potential talent and they've, they've now gone all over the place. Um, and we, in addition to the scholarship program, a few years later, we launched the CMO Fellowship Program. So that's a program that we run with McKinsey. And that's about enabling CMOs to step up and become CEOs. Um, because we believe that having the customer influence in the boardroom is going to make all the difference from a growth perspective for companies around the world. So that program's got 87 alumni of it, very senior roles. And then we launched an apprenticeship program, which is now a standalone charity. So we launched the Marketing Academy Foundation. And that's an apprenticeship program that enables 18 to 24-year-old youngsters from the wrong side of the tracks. So diverse backgrounds, uh, diverse socioeconomic backgrounds, uh, challenged backgrounds, the opportunity to have a career in our industry. Our industry is very um, middle class. Um, and if you look around the industry, you'll see lots of white faces. You'll see loads of graduates. You'll see loads of sons and daughters of rich parents. And that's not healthy at all in any context that's not healthy but certainly within our industry which is you know part cerebral part creative uh, part emotional we need to bring diversity into the industry so the apprenticeship is a one-year fully salaried work experience for kids who aren't from the classic backgrounds enabling them to step into our industry and experience it and that will be our legacy going forward you know we want hundreds and hundreds of apprentices out there and that will be the legacy um, and then we also run a series of open events that we use as fundraisers, the money from which goes to pay for the apprenticeships in the UK. So the UK is, is quite sizable now. Um, and then we launched in Australia, which was our first international rollout a few years later. So what the Academy looks like now, it is a not-for-profit. It's mostly voluntary. So we have a huge community of C-suite from every brand you can imagine around the world, from media owners, media platforms, media agencies, creative agencies, and the CEOs and the CMOs all volunteer their time, their knowledge, their wisdom, their support to nurture and develop these emerging generations at all levels, mm. um, paying, paying it back down, you know, mm. paying it forward. And they all do so voluntarily. So the community around the academy is really vibrant and very, very connected. There's a huge amount of collaboration and generosity and support and resources that are gifted. So the academy isn't owned by anyone. It's not, it's not owned. It, the whole industry supports it. So it's invested in by the industry for the industry. And, you know, over time... Our alumni have got more senior, bigger jobs, higher impact jobs, and they all take the learning with them, and they all take the principles, which are around purpose, mm -hmm. around giving. Leadership is about giving, not getting. Um, authentic, being their authentic self, um, having morals, integrity, doing the right thing. Um, they, they all, there's a ripple effect because they all step into that role as a part of the experience of going through the academy program so it's bigger and better than i ever 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 imagined you've, it you've would be you've created a machine that is just working it's, without it, it you, is isn't it's, it? it's awesome Phenomenal. yeah it's Phenomenal. it's awesome i i used to say it was like a bit like a snowball going down a hill yeah. you know just gathering organizations and people and 
and, and all sorts of amazing things happening to it. And, and it's like a magic snowball. It, it just continues to get bigger and bigger and bigger. It's fabulous. I wish our listeners could see you because you're a ball of energy yourself. <laughs> you're, like, you're so pumped and passionate about do, what you I do. It. And I'm hoping it. it comes across uh, through the sound. And just to put it into context, we are sitting in an apartment overlooking Barangaroo <laughs> in Sydney. Um, so this is absolutely live, and if you're hearing work going on, that's because we were in the middle of a building site too, but all is good now. Before we move on to talk about you, Wendy, you, you're doing a lot of work with business, you're having a lot of conversations at a senior level in industry. We had a big conversation before we started recording about the leadership styles and what you're seeing in Australia. What do you think are some of the significant changes that are going to impact industry and your profession over the next few years oh it's a very interesting time i think for our industry it's a very interesting time so there's a huge amount of change there's quite a lot of uncertainty there's uh, a little bit of fear and fear of the unknown um, because the industry needs to come together more it's been quite disparate and disjointed and quite adversarial the different component parts of our industry and that that that's going to change and needs to change going forward but there is an acceptance that that needs to happen um, I think Australia is the land of opportunity I mean I just completely love it here I, I'm fortunate and privileged enough to be able to come down three times a year and I love it the energy of the place is so special and unique um, but there is definitely um, a, a leadership style here that's been developed I think over time um, with a lot of the C-suite here um, being in a similar age group, the kind of the baby boom, boomers and the older Gen Xs, uh, who have learned to lead in a certain way, um, that I think w needs to change over time. And the, the changes need to be, uh, in my humble opinion, um, that leadership is about giving people freedom. And I'm not sure there's been as much freedom in Australia as is required going forward. So there's a gap between the guys at the very, very top of the organisations and the people reporting and coming up underneath them, where the leadership here has been quite um, quite tell, so not dictatorial, that's, that's the wrong word, but has been um, quite directive, which there's a time and place when direction is needed, absolutely needed at, at, at C-suite level, but there's also a time when you need to enable, empower and inspire the people underneath you to begin to make decisions for themselves, to learn how to do things for themselves. So that permission to fail um, is something that is a big opportunity, I think, I think down here. So as the younger generations come up, if the leaders can switch from uh, telling them what to do to encouraging them to think for themselves, there will be a step change down here. Um, authenticity is also really very, very important. And I've seen sometimes there's a slight resistance, and I'm really generalizing, and there are huge exceptions to this rule, but just a, a, a reluctance to show vulnerability, which is a bit of a barrier. It's holding, it holds people back. It's only when you step into your most vulnerable self and share that and reveal that, that the opportunities and magic can happen. And there's a little bit of a reluctance to do that down here. And, 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 you know, while people put a mask around themselves or a persona around themselves or a shield around themselves, they close down the opportunity to do some amazing things. And the amazing things come from risk-taking. So you have to feel a lack of fear 
to be able to take risks and you have to be you have to embrace failure and even encourage it to be able to step in the best for, into the best versions of yourself that's not a cultural thing here and I also learned that imposter syndrome is quite, quite big here and so is tall poppy syndrome and those two things working together um, are stepping into you know they're causing a barrier to be able to really really thrive from a leadership capability down here um, but as the younger generations have come up they're, 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 thr they're really asking for the permission to be themselves and to speak how they find and take risks and move outside of the comfort zones and the leaders at the top who are in their 50s who weren't given that opportunity when they came up the ranks just need to embrace this incredible potential that's underneath them and let them fly. You talk about vulnerability and actually a lot of what you talk about is it is aligned to uh, my own belief system and, and the stuff that I'm teaching. Um, but I'm curious, this vulnerability piece, um, which, which as you've probably seen is equally um, discussed a lot in the, in the media, do you have an example of where you potentially stepped into your own vulnerability and the gift, the magic that was created on the back of that that you can share? I don't believe I stepped into my own vulnerability until I set up the academy. And, um, and I'd been through this quite big epiphany sort of life shift in myself, which was, so for the first time I realised, truly realised how vulnerable I was in every context. And uh, that was a bit of a shock. <laughs> You know, realizing, yeah, realizing that uh, what I'm not immortal. <laughs> what was that about? Um, and uh, I decided very, very early on that I was going to need help to get through it. And I'd, I'd always been, I've always had the blessing of confidence. And, and I realized as I got older that that was a real blessing. That was my mother. That was my mum. My mother used to tell me every day, she used to say, you're going to get to the top you are, you're going to do amazing things with your life you are. And I believed her. She told me I was gorgeous. She told me I was beautiful every day. She told me that I was loved. And she told me that she knew I was going to do something with my life. And I literally believed her. Um, and then when I got ill, my confidence flew out of the bloody window, which was a complete shock to me. And, um, and I was vulnerable for the first time ever, and I could have locked that down, but I didn't. I made the choice to share it, asking for help, asking for support, asking for input, asking for guidance. All those things were showing my vulnerability. And if I hadn't have done that, the academy would never have been created. And the whole academy only works because of the generosity of other people. Well, you don't deserve someone to give you something unless you can give of yourself, right? So I had to make the choice to not be the big I am, not be the big persona, not be the big character, not be fake. I needed to be me and I needed to say, I've got no idea how to do this and feel comfortable in that. And it was uncomfortable. I had to get comfortable with feeling uncomfortable. It wasn't like me to ask for help. It certainly wasn't like me to say I didn't know something. And um, I had to build the academy in, a, in an industry I didn't know, in a function I didn't know. I'd never set up for not-for-profit. I'd never set up a company or of any kind from scratch. I'd never done that internationally. I'd never walked into the C-suite and asked for CEOs to just give me their time. 
just because I'm asking. You know, I just, I'd never done any of that. Everything was a first. And in every instance, I had to reveal where my weaknesses were in order to create the opportunity where somebody was going was gonna to help. So um, it became my sort of guiding principle, really, and, 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 and ever since. And that, that asking for help, well, it, what's really interesting, you talked about imposter syndrome. I was running a program recently with um, top talent female that is, are about to go up to the next senior, senior level. Every single one of them felt like an imposter. Yeah, I know. Um, it's so it's a massive problem. And one of the things that always comes up is this concept of asking for help. Mm. Um, what advice would you give people that are listening and going, yeah, yeah, I know. I know I've got to ask for help, but how do I? What would you say to them? Well, the first thing you've got to do is silence the voice that's in your head because it's you that's telling you you can't do it or not to do it. We've all got this thing in our heads. It's a so I've characterised the voice in my head. I've done talks about it. The, the voice in my head that sabotages me all of the time, the, the voice in my head that says, you can't do this, you're going to get caught out, they are going to find you out, you're flying without a pilot's licence and you're within inches of just being put in prison for it, um, you're not worth it, you're not worthy, you're not good enough, all of the, this, this voice comes from inside ourselves, right? So I characterised mine, and mine is an orangutan and she's called Mildred. And so whenever I hear this voice on my shoulder, I can say, you know, shut up, you're a bloody orangutan. You know, you, you're not serving me. Here's the thing about the voices in our heads, though. They, they, they do serve us, right? They can serve us for good, for, they can serve us for the, just the mundane and the boring, and they can actually do us harm. But the driving principle is to protect us. This voice, Mildred, my, my orangutan, she is fiercely protective over me. So when I walk into an environment that I can't control and I'm feeling vulnerable and I'm not sure how people are perceiving me, she comes right loud to the fore. And what she's trying to do is protect me. So she's saying, don't do that. Don't do that thing because you'll look like an idiot. Don't do that thing. It's the wrong thing to say. Don't do that thing because you're showing a weakness. She's trying to protect me. So just characterising her and understanding that she's coming from a place of protection, but it is in that protection that the opportunity shut down. I can just sit in it and make a choice. And the real power that we all have 100% responsibility for is making the choice. So at that moment where she comes to the fore, I just give myself two or three seconds to think, is she serving me right now? Is she pulling me back? Is she pushing me forward? And then I can choose how I'm going to respond. So I can say, just shut up. I'm going to do this. I understand you're trying to protect me, but I'm going to do this thing because that's where the opportunity may lie. So in the asking for help, you know, what stops you from asking for help? The voice that says, if you ask for help, you're letting them know you're weak. If you ask for help, it looks like you don't know the answer. You're, it looks like they're not going to think you're as good as you think you might be. All of those things, it's rubbish. It's just this voice in your head that you have the choice and the power to just say, can you just be quiet for a minute? I'll come back to you later. And then ask the question. Awesome. I love it. Now, you're a, a bundle of energy. You're incredibly passionate about the impact that yeah. you are here to make. How, how do you look after yourself? How do you keep yourself match fit <laughs> during the crazy busy time? Well, that's interesting, actually. And if you met me a year ago, you would have seen that I was probably um, about 
well, I am still very overweight, but I was hugely overweight. And uh, my physical energy, I've got huge emotional energy, always have, but my physical energy was really bad. Really, really bad. I never put my physical self first, ever. And, um, and I'd been hugely overweight for years. And I'm talking 20 years, you know, since I had my first, my first two children. Uh, and never done anything about it because I couldn't be bothered and I quite like to eat. Um, and so uh, I reached, I reached, I'm 53 now, so I reached this stage where um, about a year ago where I just thought, oh my God, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. I'm not taking responsibility for this. My energy levels weren't as high as they should have been because I travel a lot. And I thought, I've got to do something about it. And so I decided to do what I think now, in hindsight, was quite a vulnerable thing to do. And I went public with a commitment last January that I was going to lose 52 pounds, which is about uh, 26 kilos for Australians. <laughs> uh, 52 pounds in 52 weeks. Oh, my goodness me. So it was a one-year challenge, and that I was going to write about it publicly. Yeah. Huge, right? And I, I literally thought, oh shit, what have I done? Oh, what have I done? This means I actually have to do it. I realised that actually I've got a big ego. I have got a big ego and I was going to fail publicly, which was my biggest fear. I bet and Mildred was kicking in. I was kicking strong in for the whole year. Mildred loves Kentucky Fried Chicken, right? <laughs> it was a nightmare. But, uh, but I did it. I did it. And, I th and the only reason I did it, I, and I know this and I just have to own it, was because I'd gone public. And, and, and then people started to read the blog and then more people started to read the blog and then I'd get messages from people and people would send me books and they'd send me stuff about, you know, some health kick that they'd done and I thought, oh my God, people are reading it and doing something about it too. So that's even more pressure. I think I've got to make sure I keep this up. So I didn't quite... I didn't, actually, I failed. I, I failed in that I only lost 46 pounds in a year instead of 52. And then I had to go hell for leather in January this year to, to <laughs> lose the rest. And I'm still on that. So I'm only halfway through my ultimate goal. Um, but that, that was a wake-up call. You know, I, had to, I, I was thinking, you know, what am I doing? What am I doing? I'm completely exhausted all the time. And having to rely on my mental and this almost spiritual energy to beef up the physical stuff. And now I have to say I feel fantastic. And I have physical energy now in a way that I didn't have it. Deeper reserves. I could walk upstairs without my knees killing me. I mean, just <laughs> transformational. <laughs> but it took, you know, that's what it took to do it. And I, and I blogged last year, all year. And I, and I might turn it into a book one day. If I lose the rest of the way, when I lose the rest of the way, I'll turn it into a book. And I imagine there's a lot of humour in there. Having now met you and spoken to you, I can only imagine the humour that's in there. I, t I tell you, it's very honest. <laughs> it's very, very honest. <laughs> So I'm curious, what's what's an unusual habit or absurd, absurd thing that you love? An observed... An absurd thing or, or an, an unusual habit that you absolutely love. What, that I've got? Or yeah, oh, anything that you love, that you love, that you've got, that you do. Oh, God, there's so much that I love, <laughs> I can't tell you. Oh, I love it when people take risks. I love it when... Um, I'll tell you what I really love now that I used to hate, and this is an interesting thing around give and get as well, I guess. I, I love speaking in public, right? I used to throw up at the thought of being on a public stage, like literally. I'd be the one that'd be gibbering wreck in the toilet, throwing up before going on stage. And then um, a, a person who is really, really, really important to me, uh, like a mentor, she's in her 70s, and she runs the Living Leader Programme, which is an element of our programme. She once said to me, why are you feeling so edgy about going on stage? Well, she was holding my hair back when I was throwing it up. <laughs> what is it that you're thinking? 
before you get on stage. And, and I said, well, I'm, I'm just terrified. I'm not going to know my words. I'm going to stumble over my words. They're going to think I'm an idiot. They're going to think that I don't know my stuff. It was Mildred again. It was, it was <laughs> definitely Mildred. She said to me, why are you thinking about you? And I said, I said, what do you mean? Why am I thinking about me? And she said, Sherilyn, why aren't you just thinking about what you can give to the audience? Do you have something important for them to hear? Yeah, I think so. Do you do you have passion behind what you're delivering? Yeah, I think so. Do you think it might make a difference if somebody heard it? Yeah, I, th- I think so. She said, so why aren't you just thinking about what you can give and not what you're going to get from it? You can't control what they think and feel about you. You can't control what they're going to give to you. This isn't about you at all. It's about them. And it was a real flip. I mean, a complete flip of my thinking. And now I love it. Absolutely love it. If I can just have... If I can have a platform where I, I can share my feelings, what I've learned from the, the amazing people in the academy, what I learn every day from my scholars and alumni, if I can just share that and just make a difference to how one person thinks and feels about something, then, oh, my God, what a complete privilege that is. So I love that. I really, really love that. And I love helping people to do that too. Mm. And then I just love to see the results, the responses that come through from the scholars that we have and the fellows that we have and our apprentices going through the programme, watching people blossom and flower as they step into the best versions of themselves. I mean, I am... I have that in my life every day, every single day. I see something happen remarkable with someone. And, and I do believe that everybody is capable of doing exceptional things. Mm. And I've just got this amazing opportunity to see that happening mm. all of the time. I love that, that belief that everyone's got exceptional things to everybody. deliver to the to this planet. And, and essentially that's what this podcast is all about, of uh, speaking to people that have been able to unleash their own brilliance that you quite clearly have. And what I love about your work is everything you do is about helping others become more brilliant at what yeah. they do. People listening, if you had to give them... Uh, a couple of tips about, okay, yeah, yeah, I get this too, but I'm still so scared. How do I become what it is that I want to become? What advice would you give them? Focus on the things that you're absolutely brilliant at and completely ignore the stuff you're shit at. <laughs> we are so brilliant at knocking ourselves on the things that we're weaker at. You know, we're, so you ask somebody to talk for three minutes on the things that they're really good at and they'll dry up in 35 seconds. You ask somebody to say, what are the things you need to improve on? And they'll talk for 10 minutes. My belief is that you should build on the things that you're good at because the things that you're good at are likely to be the things that you love. And if you're building on the things that you love, then you're going to step into the greatest place. The stuff that you're not so good at, the weaker things, just ignore them. And they'll, they'll just... Don't focus on them. Why would you focus on something that you don't like, don't love, and that you're a little bit shit at? Don't focus on that. It doesn't matter. It's a complete irrelevance. Focus on the thing that makes your heart beat faster that's how you'll begin to unlock what your purpose is because you know the things that set your soul on fire the things that make your heart beat faster the things that make you smile every day the things that give you joy those are the things that if you focus on them you will just get stronger better better and better and better you know focus on the spot we call it spot we have a fabulous speaker who comes into into boot camp and he talks about focusing on your spikes you know, make your strengths stronger. The rest just doesn't matter. Mm. So, so that would be a big piece of advice. And the other piece of advice would be 
Live the life that's, that you're personally destined to live. Don't live by the rules that someone else is imposing on you. Think about, we had another speaker come into boot camp who said, we spend so much of our life investing in people who won't come to our funeral. How amazing is that? Think about the people in your life, the real people, the people who are going to show up at your funeral. Those are the people that are worthy of the time, your time invested in. Invest in those relationships. Don't worry about the people who are just passengers in your life and who are just going to hop off. They're not the ones that are important. Focus on the things that really, really are meaningful and the relationships that are going to last a lifetime. Think about what you want your funeral to look like. Who do you want there? Mm -hmm. And when was the last time you called them? And when was the last time you sent them a letter, a handwritten letter? And when was the last time you phoned them just to say, I haven't got anything to say. I just wanted to say how much I appreciate you being in my life because you make me feel special every day. Those are the sorts of things that you should do. Mm, so absolutely love it. What's a um, couple of final questions. Um, what's your favourite book? You could be reading it right now or it could be one that just changed your life. Mm. Have you got one? Yeah, I have. I read a book. Um, it was a leadership book, actually. It's by the Arbinger Institute and it's called self the art of self deception and it is and it is a leadership book but written in quite a humorous way and it's quite short I, i'm not into business books so i'm rubbish reading business books um but this one really made quite a profound difference to me because it basically said that we are the architects of our own environments and realities and what we do is we self-deceive ourselves to rationalize our own failures or our own successes or our own behavior and it's about stepping out of the box that keeps us constrained so it's called the art of self-deception by the arbinger institute and it's a brilliant read and then i've just remembered another one i haven't read for a long time but was a very pivotal one for me and it's a book called maverick by a guy called ricardo semler um, a Brazilian guy who was um, inherited a company, a very traditional company from his father. And he recreated this company from the inside out. He was like the Facebook of his time. And some of the principles that he uses in that book, I still use now, um, completely transformed the way in which I lead um, and, and led from that moment on. Um, so those two books, I think, were, were really, really pivotal fabulous i haven't read either of those i'm gonna to have to pull those ones out so my final question um you know we often hear interviews and conversations about uh what is it that you want to become what's the ultimate dream etc i'm more interested in who do you Sherilyn, want to be remembered as <gasps> oh my god me i only ever want to be remembered as me um and um, I guess it, if I could be remembered as someone that just made a bit of a difference, that, that's, that's all I need. That is all I need. Um, and if, if just my, my husband and my children were at my funeral, I'd be happy. They are the absolute and complete and total centre of my world. And for them to know that I was there for them, for them to be proud of me, um, for them to believe that I, I gave them what you know what they needed to be the best versions of themselves. I guess that would that would make me happy. But I don't want to be known for anything other than than who I am. And warts and all, whether you love me, loathe me, <laughs> G 
just just remember me for who I am. That's all I could ask for. Well, you certainly are making an impact. Um, as I said, I was speaking at the Marketing Academy about a month ago, and every single person that was in that room was raving about you, oh, the work that you are doing, the impact that you are making on them. And what I saw um, as someone from the outside looking in is an incredible tribe of people, collective of people that together are going to absolutely leave legacy on the planet. So your work is awesome, and I am so glad I got to meet you. A couple of things that I pulled out of our conversation for, for those of you listening, I think what Sherilyn talked about in terms of as leaders and organizations creating a forum where it's okay for people to try and fail, it's the only way that we're going to find opportunity. Um, I am absolutely going to characterize, uh, create my own character. Mildred Orangutan is in my head now. But this concept of vulnerability and the stories in our heads and what we tell ourselves, um, I think every single one of us um, on the planet um, has that. And our ability to overcome it is really where the gift and the magic is. So thanks for sharing that. Um, and yes, I totally agree. This concept of find what makes your heart beat faster. Um, so, Sherilyn, thank you. It's been an absolute joy uh, to meet you and keep doing your awesome work because you are making an impact. And I can't wait to see you again next time you come to Australia. Thanks so much. That'd be great. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Janine Garner Show. To follow her blog, purchase her books or find out more, visit her website, janinegarner.com.au. Brilliant people, extraordinary results.